physical therapist, host of the Healthy Runner podcast, myself and Dr. Christopher Segler from Doc on the Run podcast created a great session on keeping hips healthy in runners. This was all part of the Runners Rapid Recovery Summit. So this was a live session that we did and it was so long that we actually split it into two sections. So this is part two of the session. To hear part one of the session, head over to DocOnTheRun.com or the Doc on the Run YouTube channel or the Doc on the Run podcast. Dr. Christopher Segler has some great content, so you should already be following his stuff. But check out part one of our talk and then listen to this video for part two of our talk on keeping hips healthy in runner. So here's the question. How do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. Hey runner, before we get into this episode, I want to know, have you ever wanted to run at your most confident and strongest without having to think or spend time wondering what you need to do for workouts so you can stay sane running and feel good about yourself again? Well, that's exactly what I help runners do in the Healthy Runner Strength Program. For 18 years, I've been helping runners get stronger all over the world who struggle with reoccurring injuries or those that struggle with knowing exactly what exercises to do to improve their running. I myself am an adult onset runner and suffered the common running injuries that many get like hamstring pain, knee pain, and plantar fasciitis. It wasn't until I figured out how to strength train in order to run that I was able to stop getting injured and was able to hit PRs and run 23 half marathons over the past nine years. All the while maintaining my mental sanity by getting in my daily stress relieving runs. This program is perfect for the dedicated runner who constantly gets injured during training cycles or the beginner runner who doesn't know what to do to strengthen their body for running. I see a lot of runners who are coming back from an injury and don't know how to train differently now that they are weaker than they used to be and they want to come back stronger than they were before. Here's how the program works. This 12-week strength training program will take 60 to 90 minutes of your dedicated time, two to three times a week, that you will improve your confidence and strength without having to wonder what to do for workouts in order to run, to maintain sanity through structured, running-specific total body workouts. So if that describes you and you want to be able to improve your confidence and get stronger without having to think or spend time wondering what you need to do for workouts so you can stay sane running and feel good about yourself again, just click the link in the show notes to this episode and join the Healthy Runner Strength Program today and let's take your running to the next level. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode. Things that happen when you had your labral tear is that your orthopedic surgeon told you you shouldn't be running on a treadmill. Uh, so why is that? Why are treadmills bad for labral tears? Is it because of the angle? Is it because of the sur the surface? What what is it exactly? Yeah, this is actually interesting because th this is actually the beginning of my running journey. So I was 
an adult onset runner that started after this surgery because my surgeon said, you know, I always used to just run on the treadmill in the gym as part of my cardio for my workouts. And I thought it was kind of interesting, but it, it's really related to a concept in which I've evaluated and treated, you know, folks with hip pain in the past is this, this concept of a um, anterior shear force or an anterior glide of the femoral head inside the socket. So what happens on a treadmill is because the treadmill just goes straight backwards. So your foot's going back, but now at the top of your hip, your hip bone is actually going forward. So your hip bone is going anterior. So there's anterior shear force. And what are the structures that are anterior in the hip? That's actually the site where you get labral tears in the hip. Mm. So that's actually the site where they shave away the bone from the pincer impingement, if you have that extra bony growth I was talking about before. And that's where they actually suture down the labrum for like something like a labral repair. So you want to avoid those shearing forces to basically where they did the surgery. So by avoiding the treadmill and actually having to propel yourself forward and like use your hamstrings on the road, it's a lot safer bet than having more of that anterior glide of that femoral head inside the socket. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you know, I hear this all the time, like, obviously, when there's a shutdown, and the gyms are closed, and it's raining outside, and all that kind of stuff, you know, everything changes. And, um, you know, I don't really, I don't like to run in the rain, but I'll, I would actually prefer if it's unless it's like really freezing cold and a serious downpour, I'd actually rather run in the rain than run on the treadmill in the garage. And a couple of days ago, I, uh, I ran in the treadmill, uh, you know, in the garage on a treadmill. And I notice every time I do that, I mean, I probably think about like where things hurt, why they hurt, why I feel a certain way, why things get stressed a certain way, just because I think about biomechanics all the time. But I do recognize very clearly that if I just go run three miles on the treadmill, I have soreness in areas I don't normally get soreness when I run outside. It's different than if I run on a trail, if I run on the road, it's totally different. And I think we want to believe that the treadmill is the same as running on a road because it is so convenient and it is so accessible, but it's just not true. You have different biomechanics why they, and that's why there are certain patterns of injury that happen when you run on a treadmill. So I guess that sort of begs the question, you know, if you, if you were told that you shouldn't run on a treadmill because you have this gliding issue within the joint that can impinge all the structures anteriorly in the front, uh, if somebody has kind of early onset labral issues and they are somebody who because of the shutdown or because it's winter or because of whatever reason, they've been running a lot on the treadmill and they actually shift to just running outside almost exclusively for a short period of time, like a couple of weeks, would they generally notice a decrease in those symptoms of anterior pain if you do that, do you think? Absolutely. I, I do. I, I really do feel strongly about that. Okay. Well, so that's a simple thing to try, right? And again, that's more information for your doctor if you end up seeing a doctor about it. Uh, so, you know, not, a, I mean, it's true. Uh, I actually yesterday was talking to another doctor and same thing. We were talking about running and she was saying, yeah, I spent a lot of time on my, my trainer and on my treadmill. Cause you know, uh, if I, otherwise it's just basically hire a babysitter and I don't really want to do that. Um, and it's a common problem. Um, so, you know, even us as physicians, we get these issues and, and we think we know a lot of stuff uh, and we know a lot of stuff very specifically in very specific areas. And we all have our areas of expertise, but the average runner has their own body that's everything and they're trying to figure out everything. 
And I know you started the Healthy Runner podcast because you felt like there was kind of this gap between medical professionals and the recipients of healthcare. I mean, let's face it, even you and I, we talk to runners all day. We have podcasts that talk to, to injured runners about their problems with running, the conditions. And yet we still use terms like anterior instead of in the front, you know, uh, medial instead of toward the middle. You know, we, we use terms that, you know, or, or uh, what was it, articular, right? Like we know what an articular defect is, but what that is is a, a ding in the cartilage, you know, and people understand a ding in the cartilage, but not articular defects. And, uh, and it's very difficult for us to unlearn and speak to people in a way that is just most helpful to them. And obviously when we use terms that they don't understand, it doesn't help, but it really makes clear that there is this big gap between medical professionals and those people who actually have to receive the healthcare and, so I was hoping maybe you could just talk about that gap, you know, between all the stuff that we think we know, that we think we have learned, that in many cases we truly fail to communicate to our, our real audience, the people that need the help. Uh, and so why do you think that, um, that you felt this need and, and went about doing the, coming up with the Healthy Runner podcast to kind of close that gap? Well, there definitely is a, a difference in terminology like you mentioned, and, you know, I'm continuing to try to work on that as, as best as possible. But my whole goal at starting the podcast was really to be able to share, you know, high quality evidence-based information within the medical and wellness fields. Um, just like I had you come on my show to talk about why runners should be treated differently. And, you know, with you being a foot and ankle expert, you talked about and ankle specific topics, right? There's a lot of information out there nowadays on the internet, right? Dr. Google and social media. And I felt like it was my duty to be able to communicate really good evidence-based information to the running community. And, you know, we don't only talk about running injuries and how to treat the common running injuries, but also the other aspects of being a runner that most runners probably are not going to get at their local medical doctor, their local physical therapist, but talking about proper training and nutrition and strength work and mindset. So some of the other things that are going to help us be able to run into our 40s, 50s, and hopefully beyond. So that was kind of the, the goal of the podcast. And, you know, I, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time. And I think you do a fantastic job of kind of taking some of that, those complex topics and, and breaking them down into simpler topics for runners. And that's kind of my goal as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and you do a great job with it. There's no question, but you know, you have a lot of different kinds of experience. So one, you're a runner, you're a physical therapist and all that, but I know you also taught as a professor at a, as a, at a school of physical therapy. And uh, so that's an interesting thing, right? When you're actually teaching people to learn how to teach patients and uh, so I'm just kind of wondering like how it is that you think that experience of teaching other doctors and physical therapists about physical therapy uh, helps you really understand and how to relate better to patients uh, and injured runners and help treat injured runners better. I think it really comes down to communication, right? And how we can communicate those topics where we have entry level DPT students and you know, for myself, clinically speaking, going through specialization and being an orthopedic specialist and, you know, going through all these higher level continuing education courses to now take, again, those 
complex topics and break it down to what does an entry-level physical therapist who might not even be going into orthopedics need to know to pass their boards, pass their clinicals, and you know start their career as a physical therapist. So we break things down into classification systems and just trying to, you know, this is a hip pain and mobility deficit problem, a hip pain and instability problem, or a muscle power problem. So kind of breaking those down for my students has, I think, helped in how I do educate my runners that I work with, as well as relay some of that information on the podcast. All right. That's great. Well, listen, I know your podcast, the entire mission really is to help runners in preventing injuries and avoid getting these injuries in the first place, which is kind of a tall order. Uh, so depending upon what study you believe, somewhere between 20 and 79% of runners get injured on some level on an annual basis. And so that means there are a lot of people who are running who are really getting injured. Now, even if it's just the 20%, that's still a huge number. So if we sort of like step back and think about overtraining injuries as a broader topic for a moment and, you know, and try to come up with a couple of three key pieces of advice for runners, like what do you think are your three top tips for, for preventing an overtraining injury, regardless of what injury that might be? No, this is great. And this is something that I've been thinking about for years. And I did come up with kind of like five tips for healthy running and, and really, really comes around this, this topic of training in order to run, as opposed to thinking about running as your form of exercise or training, but you need to train in order to run and stay healthy and not get these common running related injuries. And now when I talk about training, it's really specifically three types of training that I find are commonly missed in a lot of runners. And one is strength training. Mm -hmm. So you have to strength train in order to run. Two is training on run one leg. So not just doing your classic hit workout or even a CrossFit workout where it is a lot of squats, deadlifts, two where all the exercises are on two legs. So not to say those are bad by any means, but making sure you add training on one leg because when we run, we are 100% of the time on one leg. So we need our muscles to function in that, in that fashion. And then also adding in jump training. So plyometric exercises into your training because again, our sport is plyometric in nature. So we leave the ground and we return to the ground. So we need to train our muscles to be able to respond to that. So those are kind of, I would say, train in order to run in those three ways, and then routine self-mobility. So yeah. whether it's foam rolling, dynamic stretching, mobility work, maybe soft tissue treatment. Let's say you're going through a really rigorous training cycle where you're training for an Ironman like yourself, or you're running a marathon, then maybe seeing your local PT, chiropractor, massage therapist to get some kind of soft tissue treatment to kind of reset things after these hard training cycles. And then third, I would say is it's all about training smart with proper progression. That is the number one reason why I see injured runners either in my clinic or virtually through virtual visits is it all goes back to usually training errors and not progressing in a fashion that allows your body to adapt to the demands of running. So running is a fantastic sport. I am a firm believer that honestly, anyone can run if they really had enough patience and they did the training in order to run that anyone can run. 
So it doesn't matter your condition, doesn't matter if you've never ran your life, doesn't matter if you're overweight. If you do it in the proper way with proper progression, our bodies are amazing. They will adapt. So just training smart with that proper progression would be the uh, third tip. Yeah, that's fantastic. So those are definitely useful tips for sure. And, and it's true. I think those are really great uh, tips. I know you've got five of them on your website. Uh, we'll put a link, you know, to, to send to everybody so that they can go there and, and, and get your five tips too, um, which you know, is a little more extensive and, uh, but they can get access to that as well as I understand. So, uh, so we'll link to that also. Um, all right. So then let's go back to hips and talk about a couple of things. You have, you know, a couple of ways you can get injured, right? So one of them is basically trauma, which is not most people. Most of them is a, either an overuse or some kind of issue that happens over time. And that can happen a couple of different ways. One of them is basically just too much activity, which I don't think is usually the issue. I think it makes things worse, but it seems like it stems from what you're saying either to either hip tightness or hip weakness. And so obviously, like I firmly believe that weak runners get injured. And I know that really rubs a lot of runners the wrong way because, you know, you train so much and you look so strong and you look so fit. And then to say, well, you got injured because you're weak is really kind of a, a, you know, salt in the wound. But the fact is, it's these residual weaknesses that we don't want to work on, that we're not taking the time to address that predispose us to all of these overtraining injuries. And then you can have tightness that just increases the forces applied through the joint because it's tight and it's getting sort of torqued in a way, I guess would be a, a simple explanation. Um, but I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about that, about how joint laxity or hip instability can contribute to hip injuries. Um, and, you know, if, or, you know, what you would recommend is there's some kind of strengthening that can really help address these things sort of as a, a broad topic for people that are concerned that they have anterior hip pain, they might have a labral issue or something, but how an injured runner, you know, could prevent this kind of re-injury. And for those listening right now that have a, maybe a really mild form of it, how they could kind of address it with some, uh, s through this whole idea of laxity or instability. Uh, that could be addressed with either these tightness or weakness uh, approaches. Absolutely. Strength is key in order to run, right? So I talked about strength training in the, in the last point there, but there really are three key hip muscles that we really want to look at in terms of building the stability around your hips. The first would be the glute max. So that's your big butt muscle. It's the largest muscle we have in our body. It is, plays a huge role in running, in stabilizing your hip, getting you up a hill, right? So you're not getting common injuries like that proximal hamstring tendinopathy we talked about in the beginning. So that would be one muscle group. The second is definitely has to be the side hip muscle. So your gluteus medius muscle, because as I mentioned, when we run more on one leg, that is the muscle that keeps our pelvis level. And if we can keep our pelvis level, we're going to avoid the iliotibial band syndrome. We're going to avoid the runner's knee. We're going to avoid even some of the shin splints, posterior tibial tendinopathy, all those things that result from overpronation that I'm sure you see a lot is, you know, really results in hip stability as well as the deeper hip muscles, which are your external rotators. So most people have probably heard about the piriformis muscle. They might've even had pain in the back of their butt and they thought they had piriformis syndrome. Um, they might've rolled that muscle before, but that muscle, it's usually not even so much a tightness issue in that muscle. It's usually a strength deficit issue I see in a lot of runners. And they're really not 
sure how to activate it, especially in standing. And that controls really the position of your femur bone. So really whether or not your knee goes in or not. So again, in looking at, you know, we're kind of talking about hip, but also knee issues, which we know are common in runners, you know, that is key to strengthening um, those muscles. All right. So that's all, that's all really helpful and helps us understand that a little bit better. And, um, you know, if you have, um, obviously you can address these specific sort of muscles that affect the hip and that will make things improve. But what about the other side of the equation? You know, when you have this tightness where, like you said, you're kind of born with a little bit of uh, an issue with excess tightness. You don't really know how much until you're in the same thing. I have hallux rigidus and uh, no clue until I was in uh, medical school and in a biomechanics class, they said, Dr. Berenter said, Hey, Chris, why don't you get on the table and I'll show people how to load the mid tarsal joint and check your range of motion. And he was like, Oh, Chris has Hallux Limitus. And I'm like, what was he talking about? You know, uh, of course I had no clue then. Um, but obviously I'd had that my whole life and you're not aware of it. Um, but you know, the tightness contributes to, to injuries in runners like labral tears and lots of other stuff, but what can we do about it? So, you know, if, if, how would you go about addressing that when you think that somebody probably has some tightness and they suspect they have some tightness, what would you do about it? Yeah. So that you can definitely address the soft tissue. So I would recommend foam rolling. Like I have a, you know, video of my top five foam rolling exercises as well as dynamic warm up to kind of, you know, loosen up the soft tissue prior to a run, as well as the joints um, themselves. But there are some self-mobility hip hip exercises you can do. So there's ways we can mobilize it. Usually you're on your hands and knees and you're rocking back. That's usually preferable versus lying on your back and bringing your knee to your chest. Just because when we're actually in a weight-bearing position in the hip, it helps facilitate, if you remember when we were talking about the treadmill before, kind of that we don't want to anterior glide. We want to facilitate what we call a posterior glide. So like you're basically the ball going back in the socket. And how we do that is by actually stabilizing our femur bone on the ground, being on your knees and then rocking back. So now we're moving our pelvis on our femur as opposed to the other way around. And that helps almost like deepen, deepen the cup kind of facilitates that glide backwards, mm -hmm. which actually improves bending ability of your hip so that improves that hip flexion motion okay and you say we should do that instead of doing the standard thing where you lie on your back and pull your knee up to your chest correct okay. correct so every morning in fact this morning every morning i get up at 4 40 and i go to make coffee and i get out my yoga mat and i do this routine of stretches that i have done for probably 30 years and you want to guess what the very first stretch in that routine is <laughs> i lay on my back and I pull my knee up to my chest and I hold it and then I do the other one. And uh, I have done that out of habit, not because it is best, but because uh, somebody, I don't know, back probably when I was in college, told me that I should do that. And so I've been doing it and it's now habit. And, but as you just said, like, I can't be alone in that. Uh, but there is a better way because you're talking about one way, you're just pulling something and it's not the way that you do it when you use it. And what you're talking about is actually really mobilized in a way that's functional um, and actually really does kind of change things the way that it functions when you run. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. And it will also improve your squat. And the other benefit, Chris, is you'll actually get to work on your first toe mobility in that position as well. 
because yeah. you'll actually wind up extending the hallux. So you get yeah. a little two for the price of one. I do like that one for my plantar fasciitis patients as well um, to help work on that um, toe mobility and stretch the fascia. All right. Well, I'm going to check out that your videos uh, on your website to, to see how to do that properly. And then I'll report back. Um, all right. So, so let's say, um, let's say you only had 10 minutes a day. You're working directly with a runner. You just happen to be able to show up miraculously at their home every morning, you know, at 4:40 AM. And you said, I said, okay, my coffee's going to be ready in 10 minutes. Uh, Dwayne, you got 10 minutes to strengthen my hips, what exercises would you make me do in that 10 minutes to become more stable and more injury resistant against hip issues? So the first one would have to go to that glute medius muscle I talked about that is so important with running. And most folks compensate and use their TFL muscle, which is low in front, which connects to your IT band. And so if you know that standard kind of Jane Fonda exercise where you're lying on your side, you just kick your leg up, most folks are, are bringing their foot in front of their hip. So how I like to do this is if you're a runner, just lay down on the floor with your back against the wall, with your back against the wall and you're rotated forward a little bit. So your pelvis is forward, your heel is against the wall and now slide that heel up against the wall. Hmm. So this will force you to use the back fibers of that gluteus medius muscle, which is what you wanna do to activate it for running. So do that exercise. You'll be very surprised at how hard it actually is. And I actually call it the humbler because you can take the most fit, um, accomplished runner. And sometimes I'll have them do that exercise. You know, if I pick up on weakness during our assessment and they'll start, you know, getting a burning feeling and fatiguing out after like five or six reps. So it's a lot harder than it looks. So I would start there, but then also what is very necessary. And sometimes we talked about bridging a gap before. And some people don't do this with rehab. Maybe they have someone doing a bunch of table exercises, right? You go to PT, you're just lying on a table next to a bunch of different people and you're doing some leg lifts and bridges and things like that, but they're not transitioning it to weight bearing. So again, how that muscle functions when we run is we balance on one leg. So then I would progress that exercise and show someone how to do hip drops where they're basically taking their pelvis, slowly lowering a good like two second, what we call eccentric lowering, because again, that's how that muscle functions when we run and then raise back up. So they're actually working the weight bearing side. So mm -hmm. we're working that weight bearing side, getting that activation. You should feel a good burn on the side of your hip. And then I would, I would need to do a glute activation progression. So for that glute max muscle, you'd be surprised again, how many runners are hamstring dominant and they're using their hamstrings when they should in fact be using their glutes. So I'll usually take runners through a little progression of that. I have like five exercises I like to progress there. And then the other one I would say is going back to the external rotators, whether or not you do your standard clam. Most people are familiar with the clam exercise. A couple of things that I see often is most people roll their pelvis back when they do it. So you have to keep your pelvis forward and you should feel it deep in your butt area. If you're not, progress it with a minivan. But most importantly, what I've done is I have a, have a series of exercises that you can do in standing to teach your body how to activate those external rotators when your foot is on the ground, like it needs to function when you run. So those would be my like top, I guess, four exercises hitting those main muscle groups that we talked about before. No, that's fantastic. That's super helpful. Um, 
All right. So that, that sort of deals with the strengthening side of it. Then, so for the same runners who are trying to either get over these mild uh, anterior hip pain issues, or they're just trying to make sure that they don't wind up with the trouble down the road because they really want to run for year after year after year. What are the, the, the three stretches that you could recommend that you think are really the most bang for your buck if you could only do three? And the reason I ask this is that I know most of the people I see, if I give them a list of like, here's your rehab program, this is what you need to do, almost never are they doing all of them. I mean, it is really a, a, a rare, almost like dysfunctional person who is actually doing every single one of the things I tell them to do. They're like, well, I like this one the best. So I just did these two or three. So what would be the three stretches for hip strengthening, you know, overtraining injury prevention for runners that you could recommend to us today? Yeah. So in terms of stretching, I would say the hip mobility rocking. So just rocking back would be a great one because that's going to address the mobility in the hip joint itself. And then I would have to go with definitely not, I mean, this is probably going to surprise uh, some folks listening to this, definitely not hamstring stretching. Mm-hmm. So there, that is probably the most common muscle I see most runners stretch. And all of the literature shows that it makes no difference how tight your hamstrings are and you won't get injured with tight hamstrings. So it is more of a strength issue, again, if you have that hamstring tendinopathy issue. But what I would say is tightness in the front of the hip, and that really relates to kind of our topic today. And two of those muscle groups are the iliopsoas, so your hip flexors, and then also your quads, specifically the rectus muscle, which crosses your hip joint, so it acts as a hip flexor as well. Those are two muscles that people feel tightness in, and a lot of runners that I see, I assess, they have tightness, and they're probably stretching them wrong. Because those muscles cross the hip joint, you need to make sure that when you stretch these muscles, you tighten your abdominal muscles, you tilt your pelvis, you do this kind of posterior pelvic tilt or tuck your butt underneath as you stretch, as opposed to just grab your foot, do the quad stretch where your knees in front of your hip, you probably don't feel much. How I like to do that quad stretch is place your foot up on something behind you, whether it's the side of your sofa, whether or not, let's say you are a treadmill runner, you put your foot up on the side of the treadmill, and now you actually leave some daylight in between your heel and your butt. And then you tilt that pelvis and you'll feel that stretch right in the front of your thigh, front of your hip area, um, where that quad muscle connects to the front of your hip. Mm-hmm. So improving the mobility in those front of the hip structures can not only help hip pain, but also commonly a lot of runners who have low back pain because they have this pelvic tilt that comes forward. So I guess the last question I have is if, you know, taking, just thinking about this right now with the, the stretches and the strengthening exercises you gave us all very, very quick to do very, very simple. doesn't take, you know, you don't have to cancel one of your long runs to do this. Uh, they're very simple things, but if, if someone with some really mild uh, anterior hip pain started doing these things and would improve with just those exercises and stretches, like how long does it take for payoff? I mean, is it, is it a thing where within a short period, like a couple of weeks or something, they may notice like, huh, that pain's getting less. I think I'm getting somewhere. Like how long does it take for, for you to have some effect that you could notice? So this is someone that does have this anterior hip pain, you said? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like mild early onset, you know, they're just starting to get worried about it kind of thing. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, you should definitely see a difference. And then one thing that I didn't note before, because especially if you do have anterior hip pain 
and you do that rocking stretch, sometimes you might feel a little pinch. So mm. then what we do is if anyone out there has seen like the mobility bands, um, some people use it to like do assisted pull-ups. Those are great to put around your hip joint and kind of mimic what we would do in the clinic by doing mobilizations to your hip joint where you can use these mobility bands and actually do some great self-mobility techniques where you can add a little distraction to your hip joint and even facilitate some of that posterior glide I was mentioning before. So if you do have pain, number one, I would say, make sure when you do the exercise I talked about that they are pain-free, that you're staying behind pain. And sometimes that just literally means like not moving a millimeter or a couple of centimeters um, of movement, just going shy of that and then coming back. We know that movement is good. Movement is medicine. It will help lubricate the joints and you should definitely see a difference in a couple of weeks in your symptoms. It might not go away completely yet. And if it doesn't, then you might need, you know, to seek out the assistance of a medical practitioner who can maybe do some other, what we call manual therapy techniques. And whether it's mobilizing the joint, manipulating the joint, doing some of that soft tissue uh, treatment that we mentioned before. So what they could do then is start with these simple things, try them, do them for a couple of weeks. If they feel they're making a little improvement, but not making enough, or they're not sure that they're doing it right. Is that a thing where they could check in with you, do it like a, you know, a, uh, just a remote kind of check-in over webcam or something work with your team to try to, you know, say, hey, look, am I doing this right or not? I mean, because I do, you know, uh, webcam consultations all the time. I do them daily. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that's all people need is they just need to talk to somebody who's an expert to say, hey, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? Is, is, is this look correct to you? Or am I missing something here? Because, you know, like you said, sometimes it can be just one or two millimeters of difference that actually makes the difference between improvement or really like feeling like you're, you're not getting anywhere. Is that something that you can do with them? Yes, absolutely. So I do help a lot of runners virtually uh, through virtual visits. So just like you said, be able to, you know, diagnose their problem, but more importantly, getting them on a plan. And, you know, I outline a specific plan of, you know, some of the exercises we might've talked about today might, you know, work for you. Some might not. And that's where kind of that clinical reasoning process that we go through and see really what works best for you. And then being able to actually see you perform them. I don't need to see you do, you know, two or three sets of eight, or 10 reps, you know, in front of a camera, but I want to see and make sure that you understand that you know how to do the exercise. And then when we have it outlined on what the frequency will be, give you a structured plan. And then I typically, you know, depending upon the injury, follow up in a couple of weeks at that point. Um, yeah. But it is pretty amazing the, and I'm sure you see this in your practice as well, at how much we can get through virtually and still get the results that we, you know, have gotten through in-person sessions. So definitely one of the benefits for my practice in this uh, crazy year of 2020, for sure. Oh yeah, there's no question. And, and it, is, it is incredible, like how so many times, you know, runners that have these issues are, they're worried, they're concerned, they, they almost get, you know, paralyzed by not knowing, am I doing the right thing, the wrong thing? They just quit doing stuff altogether. They just try to just keep running. And with a few small adjustments, just something you can easily do over the phone or over a webcam, it's really easy to kind of get these people back on track because the overwhelming majority of the people who have running injuries do not need surgery and do not need an injection. You know, like you said, movement is medicine. And like I've been saying for years, not running is not a treatment plan. Uh, you know, the plan is actually doing something just like you said, you know, you want to give people things that they can do 
and then do that stuff for a couple of weeks and check in and see what happened. Um, but you know, that really is key advice. I mean, I love the whole movement is medicine. That really is uh, great advice. It's really helpful. Uh, I think it goes right along with everything you've said today. And, you know, I'm so grateful that you come on and actually share not just your knowledge of hip injuries and what to do about it, but also your experience and how those things factor into the decision process, you know, as you work with these runners and athletes. So look, Dwayne, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on, but I really appreciate you taking time to come on and share all this stuff with us here today. Hey, Chris, this was fun. Thank you so much for having me. And the other worst scenario is that that runner who gets frustrated and just stops running and says, I'm not a runner. I can't be a runner. So being able to hopefully some of this information kind of gives them some um, hope and some motivation that there are actionable strategies out there to get rid of their hip pain. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, Dwayne. Listen, thanks again. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast. Can I please ask you for a couple of favors? Can you subscribe to The Sucker wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever so you never miss another episode? You'll be notified when a new episode drops every Thursday. Can you also please leave me a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts? What I want you to do is to tell them how awesome you are as a runner and then tell them what you have liked most about the show. I love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them and it means a lot to me. If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, then head over to youtube.com forward slash spark your training and you can see the video version as well as our full video library of exercises that are specific to your running on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Also, if you like the content in this podcast, then you will like the community even better. Head over to our Healthy Runner free Facebook group so you can get all the bonus content, blog articles, and get your questions answered by myself and our team of Healthy Runner coaches. The fifth and final thing I want you to do is that you can help this podcast out by taking a screenshot wherever you're listening, whatever episode, and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me. That is at Spark Your Training. If you do this, I'll give you a shout out and repost it, sharing your running wins while listening to the podcast. More importantly, we'll be able to share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them stay healthy so they can stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, and tag me in it. You can also find out how I help runners as well as our brand new Healthy Runner Strength Program by visiting our website, sparkyourtraining.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I just love our Healthy Runner family. And remember, guys, let's stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time.